You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, if you can make your way there. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, my responsibility uh, as one of the pastors here at the church, I'm, I'm the main teaching pastor, and so um, it's my privilege with you on most Sundays to open up the Word with you guys, just to, to make our way really through the Bible to see what God has said about us, about life, about Himself, and that we collectively as God's people would, would come to, to hear what Jesus would have to say to us. That's why we have you turn to the Bibles, not to hear the mere opinions of me or any other pastor or any man, but to hear from God and God himself. And so that's why we open up the scriptures to see what God has spoken to us. And so no matter where you're at though right now in life, I just want you to know we're humbled and thankful to have you here with us today. We're honored that you would take your Sunday to be, to be with us, and we pray, we have been praying that God would bless you through this time in the Word, in the Scriptures. We believe that as God's Word goes out, as we look at the pages of Scripture, that God will accomplish all that He wants to accomplish in the declaration of His Word. So as the Bible message goes out, as God's Word is shared, whether you're a Christian or not, we pray that God would use this time to bless you, to show you who Jesus is. We've learned from the Apostle John. He's the one who authored and penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this great book we've been in for the last few months. We've learned from John that we have the capacity, the desire, the ability to love because God has loved us. We love him because he first loved us. In other words, that God moved toward us. He made the first move. God is the one who initiated love towards you before you ever loved him, before you had desire for him. You know God loved you. God made a plan from the foundation of the world that he would have love for you. He loved you first. We were the last ones to love. And in spite of us, not desiring him or loving him, he loved us, he poured out his grace upon us, and we received love from him anyways. And crazy to think about this. The fact that God loves you before you ever love him, does that not show the conditions of his love? That God would see you at your worst, that God would see you at your ugliest and say, I'm gonna love you anyways. That while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus, he died for us so that he demonstrated how much he loved us by his own sacrifice, which was such a great sacrifice that he's willing to give up himself for those who are mocking him, spitting upon him, who want nothing to do with him. This is the Old Testament concept of the Ahava love of God, where God says, I'm seeing you at your ugliest when you wanted nothing to do with me, and I love you anyways. Isn't that amazing? That, That we... Love him because he first loved us. You guys, God moved toward you in your sin. And and if God's the one who moved towards you, if he's seen you at your ugliest, don't ever fall under under this, this 
fear and this judgment that somehow, because I'm loved by God now, I have to keep on loving him in order to receive love from him. That, that's not how it works. He unconditionally, unceasingly, altogether, completely, and perfectly loves you. So much so that his love, which is being perfected in you and in me, is casting out any fear. Fear of what? Fear that we're not going to be approved. Fear that we're not going to be loved by God because his love is based on conditions. Fear, ultimately, that we are under the wrath of God. Perfect love, this love that God has for us, his initiating love, his salvation, of our sinful state of being before we even loved him. God says, I, I loved you anyway. I, lo- I loved you first. I moved toward you first. So you don't need to worry about punishment. To cast out fear. Beloved, if God so loved us, John said, the end of chapter four, we also ought to love one another. And so here's the flow of logic. Those who are greatly loved by God show the greatness of this love. If you've been radically loved by this type of unconditional love, will you not overflow the same love toward other people? You guys know God does not love you because he feels obligated to love you. It's out of the overflow of his nature and his character. Because God is love, God pours out his love toward you. So the overflow of this love, and if we've received this same love, would that love not be displayed toward others We who are loved should love one another. See, Christianity without love fails to be Christ-like at all. And then John said this interesting statement at the end of chapter four where he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. And why would he say if no one has ever, no one has ever seen God? Well, in light of us loving one another, no one has ever seen God, uh, which is true. If we saw God in all of his glory, we would be incinerated on the spot. He is so incredible and amazing. We would not live if we saw God in his glory. But John said that because, you guys, God's presence is never more seen and tangible when God's people love like he loved. And Jesus did not say, the world will know that you are my disciples by the amazing preaching that you have by the great music that you have, by the church gathering together. Now, that's not to say preaching uh, and worship and all these things don't have their place. They absolutely do. But what is the clearest evidence that we've received the love of God? How will the world know that we are disciples according to Jesus himself? By the love that we have for one another. So even though... People may have never seen God. They can experience the presence of God by the love that we have for each other. And this love, how is this love then expressed? Here we go, in the church. God's people gathering, God's people doing life with one another, you being known by other Christians and other Christians knowing you and you opening up the areas of your heart. And guess what? That means being vulnerable and somewhat is scary and, and it will be messy. But it's what God has called us to. That the culture outside, looking in on what we have in the church, there'd be such a tangible love. They'd be like, I'm craving what you have. No doubt you were Jesus's. Look at the way you run to meet one another's needs. You serve each other. A love so sacrificial, it doesn't take, but it just gives and gives unconditionally as Christ has given unconditionally to us. 
In other words, this love should be demonstrated as Jesus demonstrated his love for us. So the watermark is not just having a love of God, but John says the watermark of a true Christian is showing the love of God. Take that with you to the beginning of chapter five, if you would stand right now for the reading of God's word. We are nearing the end of this book. I'm a little sad. It's been a few months we've been in here, but it has been such an incredible book. I'm going to pick it up in verse one. And everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we pray right now at the opening and the reading of your scriptures that God, you would manifest your Holy Spirit in this place to give revelation to Jesus, to open the eyes of our heart to the rich truths that we have so that we would understand your scriptures. God, you are the potter and we are the clay and we have no right to tell the potter what to do with us. And so God, we ask that you would have your way with us, that by your spirit and your word and the words that come out of my mouth, that they would all bring glory to you and shape us and mold us into the image of who you would have us to become. Like your son, Jesus. So Lord, we decrease in this moment. We believe your words to be true. We lean into all that you have for us. And if there are those that have not been born of you today, today is the day of salvation, God. Today we pray that those who are in church today who are hearing this message would believe on your name and be saved as the result of you loving them first and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. One of the most incredible moments in my life was when I held my sons for the first time. And those who are are, are parents, moms and dads, even tutus and grandpas, you, you know full well the amazing miracle to hold your flesh and bone in your hands for the first time. I mean, it makes grown men cry, you know, you're like waiting for nine months and you see this bump and it's, it's fun and it's awkward and it's all in between. And then all of a sudden, and it does not hit you. It just does not hit you until after you have baby and you're like looking at this and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so, this is so incredible. And it's a little chaotic though often. It's usually not always the most like, 
there's like all this weight usually, and I'm not going to go into any more detail for your own comfort and my own comfort, all right? And then all of a sudden, there's a baby. It's like there wasn't a baby, and now there's a baby that's been born. It's been birthed, and it's, it's here. And, and you see the doctors and the nurses kind of rushing around, and what they're doing is making sure that baby has good vital signs. That in the, the birth of the child, that they're making sure that, that the complexion of baby is, is good. Because if complexion of baby is good, that means baby's most likely taking in air and breathing for the first time. Right? Never, never breathe, hasn't breathed inside mama, but, but now breathing on the outside for the first time. And usually that's accompanied with a cry. Like, why did you just ruin my home for nine months? What's going on here, right? Like, I don't like this place. And that's usually a good sign. In fact, they're concerned. One of our kids was more, barely even cried. And they like, you see them scrambling and kind of trying to make the, get all these machines out to make sure that lungs are cleared and all of those things. They're making sure that in this new birth, that baby is responding to its environment. In other words, in new birth, doctors and nurses look for vital signs of healthy life. Now, as we are nearing the end of John, what the Apostle John here is going to do in this last chapter is say that if you've been claiming you have been born of God, if you've been born again, let's look, the, the, the surgeon really of, of the scriptures, the word going in to make sure that are you, am I claiming to be born of God, carrying the vital signs of new life? There should be evidences of this. If we claim to be a believer, if we've been born of God, we will have these signs. And that's really what he's going to do, especially in today's text. See, John is seeking to ground the believer, and as he is seeking to ground the believer, he will unsettle the unbeliever. And if you are not sure where you are at with Jesus today, if you are not sure you've even been born again, John is dropping these statements of truth here to reveal whether or not you carry these vital signs, that you would, that you would be introspective, that you would look at your life and examine. John is dropping these statements to shake us up out of our complacency if we are not born again and to ground us in assurance if we have been born again. And no matter where you are at today, Christian or non-Christian, we're glad to have you here. And God's word will accomplish what he pleases it, what he would please, and what he would have for his word to do. So we read, in verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. There it is, born of God, born again, born from above. Doesn't matter how you say it. It's a regeneration that does not happen inside of us. It's a new birth, a regeneration that, that is caused, that happens outside of us. Like, did you birth yourself? Like, no one's like... Uh, 
I, I did not tell mom November 4th, 1986, I'm going to be born at 5 a.m., right? Like it's, it's something that happens outside of us. It's born again. We're born from above. This is the act of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. There it is. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we obey his commands. So, so there it is. There's the thoughts that flow out of verse 1 come from the reality of the claim that we believe in God and by believing in God that we've been born again. Now, we would carry these vital sons. Now, we'll come back to this, but John knows the condition of the human heart. He knows that people hearing this letter sitting in church as it would have been read to the church, then to Christians and disciples and people who said they follow Jesus, and even those of us today may say of themselves, hey, you know what? I love my brother. I, I love my sister. I love my neighbor. I, I'm a loving person. And according to these verses, at least at first glance, because I am a loving person, then it shows you that I love God. John knows that's the tendency of many people. And, and I would even say this is extremely true for, for Kona and, and this, this island that we live on. We don't spend a lot of our time convincing people that there is a God. Now, there are other places in the world, and I'm not saying that's not entirely true here. There are certain people, but for the most part, our conversations here on this island are not convincing people that there is a God, but convincing one which is the true God, which is the real God to, to, to worship. And there are a lot of people who will say, yeah, I love God because I'm a loving person. I love these people. Now, I'm not, just so you know, I'm not denying that people do not have love for other people, even if they're not Christians. But a lot of people say, hey, I love my neighbor, so I guess that means I must be born of God. That means I, I, I'm of God. One of my neighbors, and, not, and we as our family, we love them. They're, they're great people. I mean, they're, we, they're great to be around, fun to talk to, and, um, you know, and, and the, the husband I'm friends with and uh, go surfing with, and it's, 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 love this guy. I'm serious. I mean, super generous person, spends a lot of time with his wife, tons of time with his kids, volunteers in the community, it just literally has like aloha oozing out of his veins. Like, I love the guy. And that's, that's how great this guy is. In fact, from the outside looking in, he probably has his life together. From the outside looking in, more than a lot of Christian husbands and fathers do. Like, like seriously. I mean, we've even had conversations about God and about love and about church. I'm invited him to church and we've Outwardly, he's, he's got this life that seems all together. And, and you can hear things like this in Christianity that, that as an unbeliever, from the outside looking in, because I'm this great loving person, that means I must be of God. And, and he's even kind of assumed that of himself. And I pray for them. And, and if I don't think he's here, and they're here. If you're here, this is, I'm not going to name you by name, but glad to have you here, right? But... <laughs> I prayed with them, I shared with them, we love them, but just because 
people might claim that they are loving and maybe they even are loving does not mean that they are born of God, that they are in fact children of God. Sincerity in love toward other people does not nullify the wrath of God. Sincerity and worship and love does not mean that all of a sudden God's like, well, I guess my righteous judgment's towards you. I'm going to kind of take it easy on you because you're such a polite person. It's the reality of, 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 of a lot of people, what they think, and especially keeping this in mind last week when Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Remember John 13, 34? Well, what's new about the command to love one another? Nothing is intrinsically new about the command to love one another. But what's new is Jesus says, as I have loved you, now you also ought to love one another. There's the new command. The command to fully enter into the obedience of loving other people is loving them as Christ has loved them. And how much has Christ loved them? He loved them so. He loved them exceedingly. He loved them strongly. He loved them this much. So the measure of love biblically is measured by how much has been sacrificed. This is what it means to love one another. You know, does the world love this way? No, it's foolishness to them. I want to love like Jesus. Like those of you who are, are married or even just in a dating relationship, engaged, wherever you're at. Is it not extremely difficult to give love when you are not receiving anything? Even the Gentiles, the scriptures acknowledge, love when, when love is received, but to love when nothing is given in return? See, people can say, my neighbor can say, others can say, yeah, they have loved others, and they have, but Jesus takes it to the next level. This new command is, as I have loved you. And knowing people will grab hold of this false assurance to give them peace as non-believers, John doubles down on how we can know we love others. And this is interesting what he says here. Look at verse two. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. Interesting statement here, huh? Okay, so here's the, the cadence of scripture. Here's the doubling down of these realities. If you claim to love God, then you will love your neighbor. And if you claim to love your neighbor, the next cadence, the next doubling down, then you will obey God's commands. Do you see that there? If you claim to know and love God, then you will love the people of God. That's verse one. And in loving the people of God, you can know you love the people of God when you obey the commands of God. Why is John saying this? This is kind of interesting. You want to prove to me, should I, if I'm going to prove to you that I love you and love one another, then am I obeying God's command? 
How, why is he saying this? You see, in John's day, there were people known as the Gnostics. And these were, just to be straight, they were jacked up people. <laughs> they were messed up people, distracting people away from the gospel. But the thing about the Gnostics is they were loving the Gnostics were sincere. They were all, they, they, the Gnostics during John's day, I mean, they were spiritual. They were polite people. They shared. They were extremely generous. They met and helped those who were in need. They seemed nice enough. And John, knowing that there are those in the church then, even those of us today, who, are, who could have the tendency to go away and drift from the gospel so subtly as the Gnostics did. So what he's doing here is he is drawing a line in the sand the polarizing truth given is true, is this. True love for others happens because true Christians delight themselves in the commandments of God. There is the difference. The polarizing truth is that those who truly love others love because they've delighted in themselves in the commands of God. Not because they're loving to get something in return. That's not the love that we have. A new commandment, Jesus said, I have given to you that you love one another as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. So can the Gnostics say, can my neighbor say, can those who are genuinely sympathetic and sincere and loving people say that they have loved as Christ loved? No, they can't. In fact, to them, it's foolishness. I don't believe in that. Why, why would I? Why, no, I, I don't. No, I'm not buying into that. And so there is the line. Just because you are loving your neighbor does not mean you're in fact a child of God. Oh, you must be God's child. You're just the most sweet, loving, sincere person. They might be sweet and sincere and loving. And I'm not saying they're not, but that does not mean they can lay hold of claims that only belong to those who have been born of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 24. Here it is. Whoever keeps his commandments, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So it's not enough just to obey God's commands as a non-believer, which you try, you can try your best and by lining up yourself with the way God designed the universe, you're not kicking against the way he designed it. You're not going to perfectly fulfill it. But if you're going to truly obey God's commands, it's only because God abides in you and you in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So the only way you have the ability to obey the commands of God is because God loved you first. He loved you before you ever loved him. He moved toward you and your salvation. He unconditionally loved you. Then he gave you his spirit. And in God loving you unconditionally, giving you his spirit, having your sins paid for on the cross, now you can fully walk in and enter into a life of obedience. Obeying his commands those who are born of Christ walk as Jesus walked. Those who are born of Christ love as Jesus loved. Those who are born of Christ think as Jesus think and live and act as Jesus has acted toward us. 
So in greater detail, we read, for this is the love of God. There it is, verse 3. Isn't that interesting? This is the third time he said this. For this is the love of God, for in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Then last week, this is love. It's not that we have loved, but that he first loved us. And now, God loving us when we were unlovable, he did it first. He moved toward us. For this is the love of God. We like those other two. Yeah! But, but this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Why, why is that statement true then? Okay, if we truly love God, we will obey his commands. How is that even possible? Everyone who has been born of God has the chains of hatred towards God broken. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, walking in the darkness, enjoying the, the sinful sways of this world. You're fulfilling all of our wicked desires. And then we are made alive in Christ Jesus. And as we've been born of God, all of a sudden, the chains of hatred towards God have been broken by the redemption of Jesus. And now all of a sudden, we love what we never used to love. As we've been born from above, born of God, we no longer hate the commands of God. In fact, we find them altogether beautiful. Okay, so I'm going to borrow this illustration from another pastor, but I mean, it's like before we were saved, you know, we're in the dark and we're, we're being tickled and we're playing with this, this thing and, and then all of a sudden the lights turn on and you realize it's a roach. Like, ah, get away from me, Right? We were once fulfilling the lust of our flesh, doing every evil deed we wanted to, and we enjoyed it. And then the lights of the gospel come in to our life, and we see we've been playing with roaches. <coughs> and you see it for what it is, and then you see it for what it is. I don't want that anymore. I've been born of God. I don't have to give way to the sinful sways of this world. You were dead, now you're alive. You were aliens, now you're of God. You are now citizens of heaven and lovers of God. So no doubt everyone who is born of God will love the commands of God because the light of God, the love of God has infiltrated our hearts and revealed us what our sin is. And in doing so, we run in enjoyment of the commands of God. His commands are not burdensome. Of course they're not. We've been given new desires. We're, our minds have been changed. I just can't help but think of giant slayer, harp player, King David, the man after God's own heart. You guys know David, Psalm 119. He sang this incredible song, talking about the love of God. And somehow in Christian circles, like the law is a bad word. You said that three-letter word that starts with an L? Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about the gospel. Now, we have talked about grace. We have talked about the gospel. But there's no grace in gospel without law. What did David say in this incredible song that he wrote? I mean, you know, if I was to write a song, let's just say, and try to get it on the Christian Billboard Top 100, 
if I'm writing about a song about God's law and God's commands, you're probably not even going to download it, right? I probably wouldn't either, all right? Just saying, like, oh, let's just sing the Ten Commandments. Yeah, like, we don't do that. Psalm 119, verse 97, David says, oh, how I love your law. He loved. How much did he love God's law? It's my meditation all the day. So here is David, man after God's own heart, pursuing God, loving God, being loved by God. I love your law. It's the meditation all night. You know, when I, when I get stuck on something, my wife will confirm this. When I get into something new or a new task to take on or thought comes in my brain and then, and then I, I had to develop that thought, I literally cannot stop thinking about it. Like I will, in fact, I, I've had a few ideas uh, rattling around in my brain the last few days. And I'm telling you, the last like three nights, I've been sleeping horrible. I know that's a sin. I know that's like anxiousness. I know the Bible talks about that. Don't judge me. Or right? I'm just trying to just say this right now. When something is in my mind rattling around, I get so excited that it's my meditation all the day. Come on, right? You first start dating a girl. You, you tell me it's not the meditation of all your day and night, right? <laughs> or guy, doesn't matter. I know. David was so consumed, so immersed in what was before him. God's law. He loved it. Guys, it was his meditation day and night. Are you like at lunch break, like, oh man, God, I shall have no other gods before you. Mmm, love that. Guys, that's David. Isn't that rad? This is meditation day and night. He goes on to say, Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, better than the best piece of candy, the sweetest thing that they could have ever eaten. David said, your law, God, is that wonderful, that delightful, that sweet for me to taste. Not only is it a love that he has in his head and an understanding of which he grows in and an experience of which he has entered into of him enjoying the laws of God. He's tasted Sweeter than honey in my mouth, verse 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. That's the lights coming on. I've been playing with a roach. Whoa, I, that's false. That's nasty. That's dirty. God, I see your commands, and I see that they are good. I've tasted. I hope you see what's happening here. Okay, taking Psalm 119 and even what John is saying here, do you see that even the love of God becomes before Obeying God's commands in verse 2. Despite what our culture might say about Christianity, Christianity is not about a bunch of followers angrily obeying a bunch of rules. A lot of people say, Christianity, you know, there's, there's no rules. It's just all, well, it is grace. But it's, it's more than that. Just to leave Christianity at that shallow level is to totally miss out on the fullness of the scriptures. God does not want you to obey his commands in anger and frustration. See, a watermark of people who've been born of God is that they will love and enjoy the commands of God. That's the watermark given here. A watermark of those who have been born of God is that they will, in fact, enjoy and love his commands. Why? Because we keep his commands, and even in keeping the commands of God, listen, guys, it's not a burden. 
it's, it's not a burden. In fact, God is less glorified in your life when you drag your feet in obedience. Because that would mean it's a burden. God is less glorified in your life when you drag your feet in obedience and God, on the flip side, is never more glorified in your life when you enjoy and delight in his law. God never receives more glory from your life when you say, God, I'm enjoying your law. God wants your enjoyment in the commands. He doesn't want you angrily out of frustration saying, I guess I have to obey God. God. Fine, whatever. God's not glorified in that. God's glorified in, are, are you serious, God? You've revealed your plan to me. You've turned the lights. You've saved me. I've been born above. I have these new desires all of a sudden that I never had before. I, man, of course they're not a burden. When God's law tells us, because hear me, when God's law tells us how we should enjoy sex, marriage, friendship, Work, money, purity, life itself, we pursue it with joy. It's not a burden. So I can't sleep with her then? No, no, you can't. And it shouldn't be a burden because you're not married. So it means I have to stay faithful to, to my spouse even though they're just so jacked up. So, so Yeah, because God hates divorce. And this is the plan that he would have for you. So, so that means I, I have to get out of my shell and, and one way or another open my mouth and talk to them about Jesus. You have to or do you get to? Did you see? Do you see? I'm not saying it's easy. It's just not a burden. Because you've been born from above. Guys, it's not a burden. John 10.10, what did Jesus say? The thief came to steal, kill, and to destroy. But what did Jesus come? I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Life exceeding a great life. Greater life is found in walking in, delighting in, loving the commands of God. Do you see that? So let me just ask you guys, as, as a friend and as a pastor, because I love you. Do you love the commands of God? Do you love God's commands or do you despise them? Are they obstacles keeping you from enjoyment or are they paths leading you to greatest pleasure? Can I say that again? Are the obstacles keeping you from enjoyment or are they paths leading to greater pleasure? But you, you need to hear, I need to pause there will be times when it seems impossible to keep the commands of God, when everything at war inside of you and everything at war outside of you will try to keep you from obeying the commands of God. We have an enemy and we have this body of flesh that we still dwell in that is uh, being sanctified, which is why I want you to draw your attention to verse four, okay? Look at verse four, guys. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. There it is, our faith. 
For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, underline that, circleize that, memorize that, Christian. You, you see that here. In the eyes of John, victory and the battle against temptation to disobey God's commands has in effect already been won. Since those who are born of God cannot be unborn. So listen, if you've been born of God, do you see the promise here? You will see victory. You are in victory right now. Not only are you promised victory because you've been, no one born is unborn, right? You will see to the end. You have victory, Christian, in Jesus. You have victory and you will be seen through till the end. Romans 8.30, for those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. All who are justified are all who are glorified. God loses none of his own. If you've been born of God, you have entered into victory. It's a victory that you will see when you are glorified, and it's a victory you can live in right now as you say no to the sways of this world, and yes, in delighting yourself in the commands of God. Guys, glory is waiting for you on the other side, Christian. Stop living like you're in failure. You're a victor. You're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And the ammunition you have is what? The love of God. The gospel. Battles may be lost at times, but listen, we know that the war is won. Victory is in Jesus. And what I love is that those who are always in Jesus will always be victorious. Those who endure until the end will be saved. And again, I'm not saying you're not going to stumble. Yes, you will stumble, but you're not going to fall. You're going to trip up. But you know what's amazing about someone who walks in the light? Have you, have you ever, like, your phone gone off in the middle of the night, and you're, like, looking for it, and you're knocking things over, and you, like, I've fallen flat on my face before. But when you're in the night and you're in the dark, you don't know where you're going. You don't even know what you tripped over. But when you're in the light, you can see what you've tripped over, right? Even those who walk in the light, when you, you trip, it's like, oh, I should have, you know, picked up my foot over that thing right there, that stupid Lego that made me say a few bad words. <laughs> and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Christian, Christian. Our faith. Faith. Here's what I want you to see. I'm going long, but I don't care. Faith is belief in Jesus, but it is also more than that. Faith is entering into the victory of our risen Savior. That's what faith is. There will be times when it feels impossible and everything is against you to obey the commands of God when they do truly feel like a burden and you don't want to do them, but everyone who was born of God is an overcomer of worldly things, and that is what we are promised in context. The overcomer has victory by faith in Jesus, a faith that comes from Jesus. And now that you are born of him, the seductions of this world become ugly because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There it is. Jesus resurrected from the dead. He's erect, he, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and in him he resurrected you from the dead into everlasting life. 
Now, simple truth, yes. But hear me on this. You must resolve today that you are not in a losing battle against the world, but you are victorious. I want you to settle right now in your mind, according to John, you must resolve today that you are not in a losing battle against the world, but you are victorious in Jesus. Christian, let's start living like that. Me, me, me too. <laughs> me too. Okay. Now, we still haven't answered the bigger question that we asked at the beginning. How do the commands, how does loving God's commands and being victorious in faith, how do those two connect? Because that's the, the truth at the beginning of this, these statements and the truth at the end. How does loving God's commands and having victory in faith, how do those things connect? The power of this world is broken. The power of porn is broken. The power of lust is broken. The power of greed is broken. The power of envy and rage is broken. The power of pride and drunkenness is broken. The powers of this world are broken by faith, knowing God's commands lead us to life. That's how they connect. Loving the commands of God and having victory by faith in Jesus those things connect and the powers of this world are broken by faith knowing his commands lead us to life and who is it verse 5 that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God Christian you were an overcomer in Jesus, you have all the victory available for you to kill your sin, to enjoy the commands of God, and to glorify him in your life. You will not do it perfectly. You will fail. That's why John said in this letter, when you sin, if anyone sins, let him confess his sin. For he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray that you would be so caught up in the love of God that your love for this world would grow dim. See, love for God suffocates love for this world. Love for this world reveals whether or not you have been born of God. Verse 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Okay, let me ask you now, do you believe? Believe in his name and you will be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is so good. May, may your scriptures be our meditation day and night. God, may we find your law sweeter than honey and candy on our lips. May we enter into and love all the commands that you have given to us as a result of you loving us first, you saving us as a result of your grace, you purchasing us from the flames of hell and darkness, and not only just saving us from hell, but saving us into a joyful life of entering into all that we would have in you. And I pray pray right now in this moment for those listening to my voice who are not Christians, who do not know you, 
that you would see this great God, that you would see God has died on the cross to purchase your sins specifically, to redeem you from hell, and to give you life and life more abundantly. Do you not see that what you're pursuing right now is vanity? And that in Jesus and him alone and responding to the work of the Holy Spirit, showing you who he is, will make you satisfied. I'm not asking you to kill your pursuit of pleasure, but to run after it and find it in Jesus. You believe on him right now. You confess your sins because he loved you first. For those of us, God, as Christians, may we resolve by your word being our meditation day and night. May we meditate that we are victorious because of all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.